speak less and listen, ask questions, be around men who, who are living it as best they know how, uh, let them disciple you, let, let them lead you. There might be men who are willing to do that, but you might not be willing to let them. Let them lead you and ask them questions. Listen to their stories. Listen to how they got to where they are. Um, instead of being so quick to share your opinions and your judgments and your thoughts, which is a young man's struggle. You know, we, we think that we know everything and, and we don't. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Men of True Worth podcast. Today I have with me a man of true worth, Mr. Joshua Peoples. Did I say that correctly? That's it. You got it. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Michael. Um, so we're going to dive right in as usual, and we're going to talk about, we want to find out about Joshua. What makes you the man you are today? Uh, a little bit of your background, what you do, uh, where you pastor, and things like that. Wonderful. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's quite a privilege. Uh, so as you said, my name's Joshua. I am the pastor of City Light Church, which is a new church plant in Port Orange, Florida. Uh, we gather at 2447 Tomoka Farms Road uh, on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. I have been married to Jessica for almost 20 years, and we have a son, Elijah, who will be 18 in May, and our youngest will be 14 in June. Uh, so thankful for my family and, and for what they mean to me in this, uh, in general, but specifically in the life of this church plant. Um, City Light Church has been around in Port Orange for a little over a year. Um, we are a church plant out of Providence Church in Ormond Beach. Uh, I served at Providence Church for a little over 11 years. Um, so I've been in ministry in one way or another, uh, in an official capacity for the last 23 years, um, but I'm thankful that in God's providence, He allowed me to be born into a pastor's family. And so I have seen both sides of ministry. I've seen everything that ministry has to offer, the ups and downs, the good, the difficult, um, for my entire life. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's that's the short of it. I'm not really that interesting of a guy, but uh, but I'm, I'm thankful uh, to be here with you today, and I'm thankful. However, God wants to use me. Uh, that's that's just what I want want to do. Yeah, thanks for joining me today. Um, so I'm interested in you. So I want to hear the story. So what led you to plant a church? Uh, from so you were a part of a church here in Ormond Beach, and mm -hmm. then you decided to plant a church. What, what led to that happening? Absolutely. Um, so church planting in general was not on my radar. Um, I had not even heard of church planting until college. Growing up in, in rural Louisiana, there's just not a lot of church planting that happens because there's not a lot of uh, people that move into your, your village or your city, your town or whatever. Um, so it was something that, that wasn't necessarily on my heart until we started seeing some really amazing growth at Providence Church. Um, after COVID had happened, you know, we went through that wonderful season of, of church life through COVID, and then God, God really started opening uh, the doors at Providence for a lot of people uh, to come into that fellowship. And then the question began, uh, we began to ask was, how do you respond to the growth? Um, do you do a third service now? Well, that 
would mean more staff. You know, three three services is quite a lot, and I know churches do that all the time in this area. Um, but just didn't feel that that was the answer at the time. Um, do you do you build a, a bigger building um, to accommodate all of the growth? Didn't feel that that was the answer at the time. Um, so Pastor Tim and I and others really began to pray about how do we respond to growth, uh, specifically at Providence, and then just began to pray in general about what what God might have for us uh, outside of Providence, and and the opportunity to plant in Port Orange um, came up through that time of, of prayer and discussion. Uh, there was a church that was uh, a church building. Um, the, the church was no longer meeting. There was a church building for sale on Taylor Road, and that was the catalyst that, that really kind of pushed us from having conversations about planting in Port Orange to actually uh, you know, putting boots on the ground and, and really thinking about it. And, and so we went and we met and we, we looked at the building. We, we prayer walked that campus. Um, it was brought before the body at Providence that this is an opportunity that it looks like God has placed before us. Would you support it financially? Uh, and then if, if the Lord would lead you to be a part of the plant, would you sign a commitment card? Would you serve at this plant indefinitely or for a year or for six months? And that Wednesday night meeting was so encouraging. The, the body at large was very supportive of it, um, and they were very supportive of me in, in leading it as, as well, which is very humbling. And they voted, uh, yes, let's pursue this. And then that church property, at least our purchasing of that property, fell through, and we weren't able to purchase it. So then the question began, uh, we began asking was, is planting in Port Orange um, dependent upon that specific property? Or, or is God calling us to a city and not a specific location? And so, uh, man, I, I was confident. God's calling us to reach a city, not just to be at one spot. Um, there's a difference between planting and starting a church. And and we didn't know what that would look like, so we, we just continued to pray, and then the Lord um, gave us some opportunities to meet at the Riverside Pavilion, where the core group met for about nine months. And then in May, God allowed us the opportunity to buy a piece of property where we have converted a barn, and that's where we worship on Sundays. It's funny, I say, if Jesus can be um, born in a, in a and laid in a manger, we can worship in a barn. <laughs> um, and, it, and we also have 16 acres uh, that come, come with that property. Uh, so God just really put Port Orange on my heart and on the hearts of others. Um, th- this area is unique in a lot of ways, and one of the things that makes Port Orange unique is uh, it's it's a growing city. Everything's growing. God is sending the nations to us, uh, but it's a growing city. But speci- more specifically than that, it's a, it's a city that's growing with younger families. And it's, um, in, in many ways, it's a city that that needs to be reached with the gospel. I wouldn't call it an unreached city, but you'd be surprised how many people we have conversation with that have zero knowledge of God, zero church background, have never owned a Bible. And so the more we were in the city of Port Orange prior to planting there, the more we knew that this is where God wanted us. He was calling us not to a specific location at the beginning, but he was calling us to a, a city that needed the gospel of Jesus. I'm interested to hear about what what kind of message that you preach or you teach. What kind of message really gets you excited 
mm-hmm. when you're getting, you're preparing this message and you're like, yeah, I'm really excited to deliver this message. What's that message? Yeah. So just in, in, generally speaking, I'll preach through books of the Bible, uh, consecutive exposition. I don't take a long time preaching through books of the Bible. If there's a, a theme or a unit of thought that is contained within several verses or, or maybe even a couple of chapters, I'll, I'll preach those multiple verses or a couple of chapters, because um, I don't, I don't want to necessarily take a long time going through the book of the Bible, different books of the Bible. But with, within preaching consecutive exposition, I get really excited about seeing God's bigger plan for His kingdom within each of those books or, or each of those letters. Uh, and, and you see that kingdom plan, that it goes starts in Genesis, and it goes to the end of Revelation. It's always been about the kingdom of God and Christ's uh, redemptive thread that's interwoven through every single book of the Bible from start to finish. And it's ultimately all about His glory um, as well at the end of it. But yeah, I, I get really excited, whatever the passage is, seeing how it fits in the bigger picture and the larger picture, because we as believers are a part of a larger picture. What is your favorite uh, Bible book to preach on? They're, they're all unique. Right now, um, we're, we're doing an Advent study through the month of December, but we're walking through Matthew's Gospel, and I am really enjoying Matthew's Gospel. Um, for me, it's hard to pick a, a favorite because each of them communicate maybe something unique or something special about God that that others don't communicate um, or that don't communicate as clearly. It, it may not be on the forefront, but seeing the Lord's ministry through Matthew's gospel has been so exciting, uh, especially as it relates to the kingdom mindset um, that really starts at the beginning of his ministry, and then it's it's all throughout his uh, ministry of works. It's all throughout his messages, his parables. Um, Jesus is very much a um, a big picture guy, and and that has been super exciting. Um, not just to teach it, but super exciting as it's being taught to see the light bulbs go off in in the people's heads and hearts as they realize that wow, I I serve in this kingdom. I'm I'm a small part. And God's greater work. Uh, that, that, that's been a, an absolutely beautiful thing to witness and, and very exciting to preach uh, as it unfolds Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, walking through Matthew's gospel. Well, I always like to hear about what, what, gets, a, what gets a preacher going, like mm-hmm. what gets them excited. So that's really cool. And thanks for sharing that. I want to shift it a little bit, if that's all right with you. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, I want to talk about you've been... As you shared, you've been raised in the church. Mm. You've been in ministry families. Um, uh, your dad was a pastor, is mm-hmm. that right? Correct. And then so you've been raised in the church. So when you look at the church as a whole, where are areas that, as a church, we're missing the mark mm. as far as like what we should be doing? That's a very good question. In, in fairness, I, I don't want to speak in, in generalities um, because I've not been able to observe the entire Bride of Christ mm-hmm. around the world, and, and I don't want to be like 
Elijah, thinking that he's the only one that's doing it right, and God's like, no, I've got 7,000 others, or Paul in Corinth, uh, in, in, what is it, Acts 19, where God says, I have many in this city. So I am confident that there are churches that are doing it the way God wants them to do it. Um, so I don't want to just paint with broad strokes to suggest that no one's doing this the right way. I'm sure that there are many churches, churches that I'm not aware of, churches that we're not aware of, uh, that are that are honoring the Lord well in, in the way they serve. Uh, so instead of speaking broadly, let me just speak from my own experience and from my own personal observation. Um, I would I would say some areas that that we could strengthen, and I've already teased this a little bit in conversation, is as leaders, we could do better at presenting the larger picture of God's plan instead of just the local expression of, of that plan. Um, and I am all for the local church, man. I am a champion of the local church. Um, but sometimes we we make the ministry about the local church, and it's not about any one local church. It's about how we are, we all serve in God's kingdom, uh, and and you see this uh, in, in the Word of God. You know, it just Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Um, when we think of the Lord's prayer, what what does he what does he say? He says, uh, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done." Even in the book of Acts, it starts off in in the first chapter talking about the kingdom of God. It ends with the last chapter talking about the kingdom of God. Even as you consider the letters that Paul writes to specific churches, uh, many times their book ended with kingdom language. The the believers at this church greet you, or we want you to greet the believers that meet in this house, or this house, or this house, or this house, and, and this church is sending money to this church. So there's much more of a cooperation than what I, th- in my experience, than what many local churches uh, speak about or understand. You know, we, we, we become very inward focused, where it's it's all about the ministries that we have here. It's about getting people to come to this event or this program or our thing. And sometimes being so inward focused uh, can make us think that we're the only ones that exist or we're the only ones, or pride sets in, we're the only ones that are doing it the right way. And that's not the case. Um, there are uh, so many local churches that God is using uh, for His kingdom purpose, and and it's it's necessary that we see our part in that larger work, uh, so that we don't become prideful or arrogant, um, so that we don't become um, short-sighted, nearsighted, or or, or just uh, only focusing on, on ourselves instead of actually participating in the much larger ministry that God is positioned us for. How do you balance that with the fact that maybe uh, many churches kind of can fall into that? Um, we just want to gather, we just want to get everybody in here and get everybody in here. How do you balance that with the fact, as even being a church planter, that you have a ministry to grow? Yeah, that's that's a good question. You balance it by preaching the Word. Um Obviously, we meet on the Lord's Day, but what's the purpose of our meeting? You know, if we look at Ephesians chapter 4, Paul lists off these different offices, and one of those 
offices. One of those responsibilities that we see in Ephesians chapter 4 is, is the gift, is the gift to uh, of the pastor. And then he gives these different um, gifts to the local assembly. And then in verses 11 and 12, it talks about for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Like that's that's the point of meeting on Sundays. That's the point of our ministry. It's not It's not just to uh, satisfy our needs and wants and feelings, it's to be equipped to go beyond the local ministry to actually do the good work of the ministry that, that God has for us in our cities and neighborhoods. So so preaching the Word of God is, is helpful in seeing that bigger picture view. Um, but also, man, I, I can tell you as a pastor, having other people in my life to help me see that bigger picture view helps balance that out in my life where I can just become so focused on our thing and and what we need to do and how we need to grow our ministry and having that cooperation of other brothers in the Lord who come alongside and say it, it's good that you're 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 thinking about those things but there's there's more than just City Light Church like how even the name of our church the Matthew 5:16 as we do our good deeds right as we do our good works People see, as we live as the light of the world, people see those good works and and they'll glorify uh, the Father who's in heaven. Where do they see those good works played out? It's not on Sunday mornings because the community's not at one local church on Sunday mornings. They see those good works played out at Walmart and Home Depot and at the Christmas parade and and out on the beach. Um, that's, that's That's where we serve. So, so we, we balance that mindset of um, having a ministry that, that we want to grow, but we, we balance it out by saying, okay, we, we want it to grow for this reason. It's not about growing our ministry. It's not about my legacy. It's not about status. Um, it's not about having a church that's you know this size or does these things necessarily on campus. It's about God using us, equipping us to go out uh, into the community where we live uh, for His purposes. Um, so, so yeah, preaching God's Word, having other people to hold me accountable. And then I would also say this, too. The way it's balanced out is, is the language that I use in preaching is so necessary in communicating that vision and, and that greater purpose. If, if all I do is talk about this local church, then you never see the bigger picture. If all I press is, guys, you need to come to church, and, and I'm for that. You need to be at church on Sunday. But if that's what I'm constantly um, pressing, if that's what I'm constantly uh, publicizing, if, if that's what I'm constantly talking about, it, 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 it puts that bigger picture kind of out of out of sight. It's only about you coming to the local church. And I would imagine that there's no no pastor in the world that that really feels that way. You know that my it's just my church and and the rest of God's kingdom is not important. But I think we can indirectly communicate that uh, if we're not careful with the words that we use or or with um, the type of vision that we cast or uh, the type of ministry that we portray. It's very important for us to to regularly speak about the larger work that God is doing through his kingdom in the local church, yes, but beyond the local church. 
I really like the direction you're going, talking about the looking at the the bigger picture, mm-hmm. the kingdom picture. And as leaders, you talked about being intentional in some of the language that you're using and things like that. As far as the vision that that you have that you see should be the right vision of the ministry. Now, what can what can the church do? What can leaders do to more effectively communicate this this bigger picture, this kingdom mindset, where it's it's very very broad. There's a lot of there's a lot of aspects of it. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, we can we can communicate this bigger picture as we're teaching God's word by creating opportunities to live out the bigger picture. So one of the things that that we do at City Light from day one, um, we we were very intentional about serving our city. So before we even launched, there was a, a city event. They were passing out backpacks to kids before school started, like 600 backpacks. And Parks and Rec Department planned these events, and we didn't know this until, until we asked how we could help, but most of the time they plan these city events, but they don't have enough volunteer support to actually facilitate them. And so here we are in the meeting in the Riverside Pavilion, and right next door at the Riverwalk Park, there's going to be this event with all of these you know, bouncy houses and bubble machines and food trucks and all these different vendors. And there's going to be, you know, a thousand, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred people there. Um, and I'm like, man, here, here it is. Like, we just need to push this as an opportunity for our church to live out what we profess, to live out what we believe in the scriptures. And so we go to the leaders uh, of, of the parks and rec department and say, hey, how can we serve you? And they're like, man, no one, no one's ever asked how they can serve us. They say, can you, uh, can you pass out these backpacks to all these kids and their families as they come up and get them? Yes, absolutely. How else can we serve you? Can you run the bouncy houses and and help play with the the children and and be with the families as as the children are uh, playing in the bubble machine or whatever? Absolutely. So so I kind of look at it in, in a couple of different ways. Number one, here's an opportunity for us to have an immediate impact on on our city through serving alongside, hand-in-hand with these leaders from the Parks and Rec Department. So, so that's one area. We also get to have an immediate impact with a lot of families within our city. And, and maybe this is just a selfish thing, Michael. But as a church programming side, I don't have to pay for any of it. So here's this event that we get to participate in with all of these, you know, thousands of dollars worth of bounce houses and bubble machines and and all these vendors. And as a church plant with nothing at the beginning, with very little at the beginning, it's like we get to have a multi-thousand dollar event for free. Absolutely. And so that started the relationship with with the city at Port Orange, and it has led to other opportunities of service. Um, all the way to the point where where my ministry assistant, our, our children's director, she co-chairs the Port Orange Community Trust. So, so we got open doors for us to serve the city of Port Orange in such a way where the people who plan city events asked the children's director at City Light Church, can you help us plan events? 
So we, you know, we have unique opportunities for family days, for the Christmas parade, for other things. So I think that's a, a big part of it. Sometimes as leaders, you know, we, we can talk a lot about what the Bible calls us to, but do we provide opportunities at large for the body to, to live out what the Bible calls us to do? Um, and, and like I, as a pastor, I want, I want those people, I, I want the people that God has placed under, under my ministry to do that on their own. But if we don't do it as a church, I can't expect them to do it on their own. So I say no to a lot of things as it relates to church programming on our property so that we can say yes to those things um, which are going out into the city, serving at different events, um, you know, being a part of family days. Uh, so so that, that's a big way to balance it out and, and, and to, to, to really encourage people to, to be a part of what, what God's doing. It's, hey, this is what we are doing as a church. We are going to open the City of Port Orange's Christmas Parade as City Light Church because they, they want us to do that. So show up um, and, and be prepared to speak to people. Now, on the back end, there's evangelism training. There's lots of discipleship that's happening. So, so prayerfully, the people are equipped to have gospel conversations. But we also want to provide those gospel opportunities in our programmatic structure of City Light Church. Um, so we, you know, we don't do a lot of stuff on campus because... My, my concern is not getting the city of Port Orange to come to our campus. My concern is getting the worshipers of City Light Church to go into the city of Port Orange. So we'll say yes to what the city has going on, which helps see that bigger picture mindset. Um, and so that, that's some of the bigger things that, that we do to help have that mindset. But even, and this, is, this seems so insignificant, but, but it has been helpful uh, Michael, you, you'll appreciate this. I don't even say at the end of service that you're dismissed because I don't want to give our people the, the understanding that now church is over and now you can just go back to what you want to do, what, what, what your day looks like or whatever. So at the end of our services, instead of saying dismissed, you're, you're dismissed to go home, intentionally, every Sunday, you're sent. So we end the service, we have preaching, time of response, Guys, you're now sent. Go and be the light of the world. Um, very intentional about communicating that language. Every single week, God has called us and equipped us and gifted us. Yes, for this local body, the expression of his, of his church at large through this local assembly, but to be a part of his kingdom work, which is so much larger than this local assembly. What does that mean for you? So if I'm a man, I've got a job, I've got my family, things like that. Uh, what does that mean to you to go and be the light of the world? It means to live out who you are in Christ, where you are. Um, be the light of the world in your own walk with Christ first. Like you want to develop, uh, you know, this identity of who you are in Christ first, and be the light of the world within your family. Be the light of the world at your job, at that nine to five. Be the light of the world in your neighborhood. Um, and then be the light of the world wherever you go beyond those things. So uh, so if you go to the, the Christmas parade, that's a place where you can be the light of the world. It, it's 
you know, it's really not that complicated. It, it's even in the Great Commission, the idea, you know, we read it in our modern English translations, therefore go, but it's really as you go. So as you are doing and being who God called you to be and doing what what you have to do, just go and be the light of the world in those areas. What is what is being the light of the world? Is it an action or is it a um, is it a presence? What what are we talking? It's about? all of the above. I, I really like how uh, Peter describes who we are in Christ in First Peter. Um, being the light of the world from a biblical lens is it is action. So we are seeing the fruit of the Spirit lived out in our lives, uh, in in conversation, in in those um, daily comings and goings. Uh, people people do see the fruit of the spirit. Like that's not just a a thought that like it, this is a real thing. As you are being filled with the spirit, the love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, self control, like that that will come out of our lives. That will flow out of our lives. So it is active, uh, but it's very much what we communicate with our mouths too. Um, whoever whoever said preach the gospel and when necessary use words, like that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You have to use words to preach the gospel. It's not just about how you live. It's very much what you say. And so I love how, how Peter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, talking about who we are, starting in verse 9, says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's what being the light of the world looks like. Man, it's when when I'm at Home Depot, and there's an opportunity to have a conversation with someone. Um, and, and just so you know, it's like I don't, I don't go into Home Depot and like, oh, that's the guy I'm going to target with the gospel and just go up to him and, and right away. But there are so many times where God just allows for conversation. Just because you look at someone in the eyes and say, hey, how are you? You'll be amazed how often that leads into conversation because we're not used to that anymore, That just that common human decency. And, and so in that conversation, if I'm going to live as the, as the light of the world the way Peter talks about it in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, specifically in verse 9, here's how I can proclaim the praises of God. Man, here's who I used to be. Here's how God's changed me by His grace. Here's, here's how I used to live. Here's how my family was. And then here, here's what God has done uh, in my life. Uh, that's what being the light of the world looks like. It's, it's living as children of God, but it's also communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, I, I used to be dead in my trespasses and sins, as we see in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, but I've been made alive with Christ by grace through faith. Or, or in Colossians chapter 3, you know, if you're in conversation with someone and they're, and they're talking about uh, maybe something as simple as watching a, a, a particular show. Yeah, you know, I used to watch that kind of stuff, but, but I am really asking the Lord to help me set my mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so I'm not saying this in a judgmental way, like, oh, you, I can't believe you watch that. How dare you watch that kind of stuff? Man, my life is so much better because my mind is is where Christ is seated, and I still struggle. I still I still want to go back to the that old man from time to time, 
Um, but but I don't I don't watch that stuff anymore. I don't think about that stuff anymore. That's what living as the light of the world is in every in the everyday context. I like hearing this this message. Um, and now I have to present some challenges. So uh, and that's what that's what this is all about the conversation. Sure. So I have to present some challenges as someone who's been you've you've been raised in the ministry. Mm-hmm. You've been brought up in this. So when, when you say, when you say, you know, I have, you know, I have challenges, but you know, I don't want to go back to that old man, these Mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, How do you relate to somebody who has come out of some, some dark, deep stuff? Mm. And so that, that old man that they're trying to go back to is a lot different than the old man that you're trying to go back to. And so, how do how are you relating to that? How how can how can you um, how can you talk to somebody about that kind of stuff? That's a very good question. Number one, I, you just be a listener. When when people are sharing their experiences, and and man, I'm thankful for how I was raised, and, and I get that that's a unique experience that not everybody has. Um. I'm not necessarily trying to relate to them. Um, I, I just just listen, number one. But also, that's where the beauty of the Word of God comes comes up. I don't base, I, I don't have to relate to them um, personally, but I can't relate to them personally. So, so I, I stand on the Word of God. Um, God has God's Word has authority over our lives. It's living. It's 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 active. It's profitable. And so, even though I don't share those experiences or, or anywhere close to those experiences, um, I can lean on God's word, which not only can speak to them, but does speak to them. Uh, and that's not just in those types of situations. Like that's from from the pulpit. I mean, how how much of what I preach on um, is is a situation or a season of life that that I've never experienced. You know, my parents never divorced, so I can't relate to that personally, but God's Word speaks to it. I've never lost a child. Does that mean I'm disqualified from preaching texts uh, about dealing with the the pain and suffering of of loss? No, because God's Word qualifies me, because I'm standing on His Word in that that way. Um, You know, I've I've not lost my parents, but I can still speak to it from God's perspective. Uh, so, so that's, that's where I really try to, to, to bring the conversation to, you know, it's not about what I've experienced or haven't experienced. It's man, God's word can, can speak to that. And, and God's word does speak to that. Um, whatever, whatever you've lived through, whatever you've gone through, as horrible as it is, God's word speaks to that. So that's what I stand on. It, it's not whether I can relate to them or not. It's God's word has the ultimately uh, ultimate authority in our lives, and and not only does it have authority, it's sufficient. Like it's enough. So so whatever you've been through, you can turn to God's word and 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 find enough uh, in His word. So so that's where I like to take the conversation. That's one of the things that that I really learned from Pastor Tim while serving under him at Providence Church. It's you know, when, when someone brings up something, well, what does the Word say? Let's go to what the Word says. 
Because ultimately what I have to say is not going to be of much value. Even if I have a similar experience, let's go to what the Word says, uh, because it, it has the final say, it has the final yes. Uh, so let's just land there and, and sit there for a while. Okay. I like, where, uh, I like how you're answering that question. That's really cool. Um, and I think that's really the, the best answer. What does the Word say about mm. the topic? I, I suppose if I rephrase it or come at it from mm-hmm. a different direction, almost the same thing, but when we're talking about go and be the light of the world, you know, go out, you're, you've been sent. There's a, there's a challenge in that a lot of people, they almost don't want to wear that label of Christian because they, they feel like if they do put that Christian bumper sticker on their car and then they flip somebody off when they're driving to work <laughs> that day, then they're, then they're misrepresenting. And so um, where would you go in that, if, in that sort of context? If we're having a challenge feeling like we need to live up to some sort of label that we're putting on ourselves, what can you speak to that? I, I would encourage you to change your perspective not look at it as as a challenge to live up to, but look at it as a platform of of God's grace expressed in your life. Man, I I was dead, destined for hell, a God hater in, in enmity with God. And then by by his grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he saved me. And so so obviously people are going, you know, sanctification is a process. We're all at different levels in that process of sanctification. Uh, I, I know th- there's a, a young man I'm uh, walking with right now, discipling. He, he's going to be preaching at the end of the month, and 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 going through the sermon. Uh, he he has some phrases in there that aren't necessarily bad, but I'm like, I don't know if that phrase needs to be in a sermon, you know. And he's like, Well, man, that's that's the sanctified life, man. I, I used to have this kind of language before Christ, and now. Now, you know, it, it comes up in those times. Sanctification is a process that we're going through, uh, and, and I get that that sometimes, you know, it can feel like it's a it's a challenge to, to live as the light of, of the world wherever we are, but but having a change of perspective can, can greatly relieve that pressure. You know, this is, I'm just, I'm just going to show Jesus, and, and in those moments where I don't show Jesus, that's still an opportunity to, for me to talk about why I should have shown Jesus. You know, man, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm a mess up. I'm a, I, I, I say, like Paul, I, I, I don't do the things that I want to do. I do the things that I don't want to do. Um, but, but God's working on me, and, and he is uh, creating that new man in me. Um, so I don't know if that really answers your question, but, but but I would just come at it from, if you look at it as a standard that I'm trying to live up to, you you will always you you will always fall short. Like I've got to go be the light of the world. And it's this high holy calling, and I don't think I can do this. And well, you're not going to do it because that standard that that task is just too big for you. But if but if you look at if you have a different perspective, instead of a standard that I have to live up to, and this is an opportunity that God has given me. I used to be those people. I used to be lost without Christ. I know what they're going through. I know how they think about Jesus. I know how they think about the Bible. Um, and now I have an opportunity to go be the light of the world to, 
to that to that group, man. I, I yeah, absolutely. And and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bat 500 all the time, but I'm gonna be faithful. Let me simplify it. First Corinthians four one and two. While the context is mostly on church leaders and pastors, I love how in verse two, Paul reminds the believers in Corinth that that the emphasis is on the faithfulness and not the fruitfulness. You just be faithful as best you can, as the Lord leads you, and God will produce the fruit. As servants and stewards of the Lord, moreover, as, as servants of the Lord, we are to be faithful. You just be faithful and, and just let God handle the rest. Because sometimes we, we look on the we, we look at the fruitfulness more than the faithfulness. We, we look at the result, and, and a lot of times, at least in my life, it can make me, I'd just rather sit at home and not deal with it than at that point. Uh, but, but to be, be faithful is extremely, uh, is extremely helpful and just let God deal with the results. And that probably didn't answer that question at all. No, I, I think to that's revisit that. fine. I like the direction we're going. So when I shift it a little bit here, yeah. I want to hear a little bit, because you've mentioned a couple of times when you're discipling men or, or working with men mm-hmm. in various areas, what do you feel like is the, is the biggest, most prevalent issue that men are having in the church? Hmm. Now, but, and again, it's from your experience, or what, what is the, what's the overarching thing that we have to overcome? Yeah, I don't think it's a new story. Um, I, what I've seen goes all the way back to the garden. It's just this lack of taking responsibility. And you know, it's it, it's interesting how even prior to the fall, Adam's not being responsible. So even in perfection, like s- sin hasn't happened yet, and Adam's sitting back while Eve is is flirting with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it's the same story that's just been passed down from generation to generation to generation. I, I, as a result of that, and as a result of the fall, I, I, I believe that Scripture teaches us that men in their sinful nature are much more willing just to sit back than they are to lead and to take charge. And in that sitting back, I mean, that's a, a host of other shortcomings come out of that. That's the, the, the biggest area of weakness that I've observed. You see it, you see it in, in the family life. You see it in the local church. If there's a, a ministry opportunity where, I mean, we need, we need people to, to serve with children or with youth. We need uh, a benevolence ministry. We have an opportunity to bring food to some hungry families. Who's signing on that? Who's signing up to, to do those things? What, what do you typically see? Not, not all of the time. There's always exceptions. But what do you typically see? You see women signing up for those things. Many of our local churches, how many, how many men are serving our children in our children's ministries? Not a lot, comparatively. So, so you see it in the home, but, but you, you see it in the local church as well, uh, and, and you see it in society in general, uh, men just not taking responsibility. You, you brought up serving uh, as an example. Mm-hmm. Now... And what we're really talking about here is passivity. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a lot to go in there, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on something you were saying here real quick and ask you some questions about it. So looking at that in a perspective of like women, women tend to be a little more open to serving 
um, in a church ministry context. Um, but uh, you, you also were allu- alluding to earlier about ministry being more than, more than in the walls mm-hmm. of the church. Sure. Right? Two questions, I suppose. And first of all, would it make sense, though, that men may have already exhausted through the week their time working, providing, if they're being that provider in their family. Um, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? Because coming from the aspect of where you're coming from, you've got, a, you've got an organization to run mm-hmm. in your church. Mm-hmm. You've, got a, you've got something, you've got a, I, I don't have a really great way to put it, um, so I don't, I don't want to call it a business, but you've got an organization to run, and you're paid for it. Mm-hmm. And then to say to ask somebody else to to step in and do work in the organization, but not be paid for it when they've you know they've got a job, they've got responsibilities outside, they've got their family, they've got things like that. Now there wasn't a really really great question in what I just said, but I'm kind of curious about your perspective on that. How does that weigh into your expectation of what men should be doing in the church? as in the church ministry, so not so much about their separate ministry, which is everybody's in ministry, right? Mm-hmm. So in the church ministry, how does that affect your expectation of men? Well, I, I will grant you that many times pastors can have unrealistic expectations of people in their time. On the same hand, I think that can feed into the problem of passivity, whether it's in the church context or, or just in general. Well, I'm too, I'm too tired. I'm spent. I've given everything I have at work. Now I can't serve the way God wants me to serve. I can't be the man that God wants me to be at home. I can't be the, the light of the world in the community that, that God has for me. Like, I think that those are excuses that feed into the sin of uh, of laziness uh, when it comes to us as men being who God has has called us to be and prepared us to be and equipped us to be. And we're treading in dangerous ground here because I can just hear so many of, of the ladies that, that, I, that I know that are just as busy, if not busier, mm-hmm. than most of the men who are still stepping up where men, where some men don't. Um, so... So as it relates to time, we, we all have the same amount of time. It's just ultimately, it, it comes down to this, Michael, we do what we want to do. So, so a man who might say, well, I'm just too tired to, to be a man of true worth at home and to lead at home, or I'm just too tired to step up and, and serve at the church. When it comes down to it, it, it's just that he doesn't want to do it. Because that same man may not be too tired to coach soccer. That same man may not be t- too tired to go fishing or go hunting or binge Netflix or, or whatever else, you know, do yard work or go golfing. When it comes down to it, we do what we want to do. And um, yeah, and, and, and I don't buy it, man. I, I really don't buy it. There, there are people, if you want something to get done within the organization of the church, find the busiest people because they'll, they'll get it done. Like if there's a project that you need done or a program that you need, um, run or whatever it may be, find the busiest people because they know how to organize their time. They're disciplined enough to know how to organize their time 
to be able to juggle everything that they have going on in their life, but also be able to help you in whatever this ministry project is, or whatever it may be, maybe beyond the local church, maybe something in your community or whatever it is. Uh, busy people are many times disciplined people. They know how to how to do that. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it just comes down to we do what we want to do. And, and to the man who's saying, man, I just don't have time, I would encourage you to do a, a time inventory. And you'll be surprised how much time you actually do have to lead at home, to serve in the church, to be the light of the world in your community. Like we are time wasters. We are professional time wasters. Um, I promise you, you have more time than what you realize uh, to live as God's called you to live in every area of life than, than what you think you have. No, why, why do we have a responsibility? Why do we, why is there a responsibility to serve in the church as, um, as what you're talking about? And what I mean is, uh, if we go with the, the children's ministry mm-hmm. example, why is there even a children's ministry? So why aren't we just gathering the families and we all just clump up together, go get some chairs, and we fellowship together? So what's the, what's the reason for creating a structure where we need mm-hmm. these extra responsibilities that now somebody has to take the time to do that? And um, yeah, I have a second part to this question, but I'll just let that. Why, why are we... Why are we structuratizing, systematizing something that that now is creating more responsibilities? That's a that's a tough question. That, that's a deep question. Um, and and every every local church is unique. There are churches that don't have children's ministry and student ministry uh, that they meet as families. Then there are I've, I've participated in events at some churches that they are so um, segregated that the first time. If you were to be born at this one particular church, the first time you will sit in the main sanctuary for a Sunday morning service is not until after you graduate college, because it's children have their own pastor with their own service, students have their own pastor with their own Sunday service, college has their own pastor with their own Sunday service, um, and, and they're not integrated into the, the adult body, if you will, until after graduating college. So, so there's there's a lot on 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 both extremes and and all in between. Um, and and each church is unique. I don't want to suggest that each church has to do things one particular way. God has given us freedom uh, in His Word. He's given us freedom as to what uh, local church ministry can look like. I mean, there are some there are some areas that we don't have freedom what the local church needs to be about. There are some instructions, there are some ministries uh, that we are to focus on, like we think about in the book of James. Um, ironically and sadly, the specific areas that are often, that are mentioned in Christ, or, or that are mentioned in God's Word, are often neglected in many local churches. Uh, but when we think about the book of James, to, to look after orphans and widows in their time of distress, there's not a lot of churches that have orphan and widow ministries. Uh, even though the Bible tells us to. Um, but beyond those specific areas that we are to provide or that we are to oversee or that we are to participate in, um, I believe God gives us a lot of freedom. So so maybe, maybe there's a, a need for a, a children's ministry um, in, in one local church and, and, and not in the other. What is the reason for a church building 
at all? It's a good question as well. Within the church planting world, it's it's interesting. Not every local church has its own property, permanent property. They might lease. What's I don't the reason think you, for you gathering in a specific place. Well, we see we see the example of it in the book of Acts, where they didn't gather in buildings like what we have now, but they gathered in people's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, does does the Bible give us specific reasons for why they gathered in Lydia's home? No, <laughs> they just gathered in Lydia's home and in other people's homes um, as as the church grew. the The reason could be it's just a it's a, it's a visible location. It's a central meeting point. Um, you, you know where to go week after week after week for the purpose of the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. You know, we saw this last night uh, in, in what's called Fusion Nights. It's a, a cooperative movement of 14 churches, student ministries that, that get together pretty regularly. Meeting outside has some wonderful aspects, but it also has some variables that are really challenging. It's really tough whenever you're preaching the gospel, and I felt bad for Pastor Jason at First Baptist. It's really tough when you're preaching the gospel and you're right at that point of calling students to a response to faith in Jesus Christ, and then the rains start coming down and the wind blows and the projector screen falls over and there's so many other distractions. Uh, so, so meeting in buildings can be helpful in, in those areas. Uh, it just becomes a problem whenever we think that that is the only place where we worship. That's the only place where we meet with God. Uh, the The church is not the building, and, and I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. The church is the people. It's not the building. But we have, unfortunately, or, or many of us, and I've been guilty of this, we have made the church property the center of Christian ministry, and and that's that's not the case. It's for you as a father and as a husband, the center of Christian ministry for you is at your home with your family, and then it's really wherever wherever you are beyond that point. So yeah, I can't give you specific, and, I, and I'm sure, you know, if you're familiar with Ed Stetzer, he's probably got some stat of why it's good to meet in a building versus meet in, in a park outside or whatever, I don't know. Um, but there are some advantages, but but it can definitely, and, and some of what we, if I were to back up, some of what we do now is based off of uh, synagogue worship. Um, and that changed, obviously, whenever Christianity became the, the national religion of Rome. But, but synagogue worship, you know, they, they met in buildings. It looked different than, than what we have now. It, it had a different function, the, the Bama seat, the seat of Moses, all these other things. Um, but I think that's just carryover. With that value that comes from gathering people, mm-hmm. right, and coming together, doing the program, listen to the worship leaders, mm-hmm. you know, worship on stage, you know, having the fellowship. Oh, we get up afterwards, we go, you know, some people hang out in the lobby, go do their thing. You know, maybe you have a potluck, something like that. Now, all of that being valuable, gathering the gathering the body of Christ together, when we systematize it and we say, we're going to have, okay, we've got, this is our schedule, bam, bam, bam the regular service here, we've got the nursery over here, we've got the kids' church here, we've got the youth gathering here, middle school and youth split up. Aren't you taking people away from the gathering in the center Mm -hmm. together? If somebody does come in and say, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do children's ministry, 
and then they start doing children's ministry, aren't they missing out on the meat of what's going on in the church? They, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a possibility. Um, this is where having multiple people using the gifts that God has given them, not just within the walls of the local church, but outside of the local church, can, can play a massive part where it's not you know, one volunteer filling the weight to serve in this area every single week indefinitely. You know, we we as, as church leaders, and, I, and I've seen this, I've been a part of this, uh, I've facilitated this, it, it's a little bit humorous in, in some ways. It's like, hey, we, we, we need someone to help teach our fifth and sixth grade boys class, and then you'll get, yeah, I'll do it. How long do you want me to be in there and do that? Well, probably indefinitely for the rest of your life, you know, and it's like, whoa, that's way too, I was thinking maybe a year or, or, or six months or something like that. So, so it's a little humorous. Sometimes people start teaching a class that they never intended to be a part of for 40 years, but that's end up where, where they where they are. Um, you do run the the risk of uh, people getting in in those areas and never coming out of those areas and, and missing what, what you called the, the the meat of the message. Um, but I would I would also suggest don't think that by serving in your local church in a specific area that you are only making sacrifices and will never receive blessing. You'll be surprised how much you'll grow through the service as opposed to sitting in the main service. Number one, we're assuming that you sitting in, in, in the service with the main preacher is where the meat and potatoes are. But how many people sit in the main service week after week after week after week? But if you were to examine their spiritual lives, they have obviously not been eating the meat and potatoes. They're still on the milk. They're still needing to be bottle-fed, um, or to you know to use Paul's imagery in, in talking about the Corinthians. They're still needing to be breastfed. So don't assume that just because you're in the main service that you're actually receiving the the meat of the service. Like you have got to be intentional about receiving that. Uh, just because the pastor communicates it, and I pray that he does. Uh, Sunday after Sunday, you still have to take that. You still have to be a recipient of that. You still have to put that into practice um, in, in your daily life. And don't assume that serving is is going to mean that you're not going to receive as well. Um, you'd be surprised how much we can grow in, in serving children or serving widows or serving uh, in, in these various areas, how God speaks to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we're preparing a lesson for four-year-olds, how, how that brings conviction upon our hearts, or as we hear... So one of the things we do at City Light that, that's a little bit unique, um, so our, our children, everybody is, is in our service uh, every Sunday at a minimum through, through the music, and then I have the children come up and sit upon the stage with me for a time of children's sermon every single Sunday. So I, I do a, a four to six minute lesson with the children on the stage every Sunday. And then after that time, they, they are dismissed to children's church if they want to go, but they don't have to. Um, I tell them, you're welcome to stay here with your family. Um, so, so we do things a, a little bit differently. It's a little bit of a hybrid. Our youth are always with us on Sundays. We don't have Sunday school or anything like that. We only have our, our main worship service. Um, but we do have people who serve with our children, and and they are oftentimes the ones who are overflowing with the love of Christ and the joy of Christ through that service, uh, sometimes even more so than the people who just come and sit and, and who participate 
in the service at large, but never really use the gifts that God has given them uh, for his kingdom. Can church leaders do better in making sure that it's not one person who's serving indefinitely? Absolutely. We can do better in that. But, but don't think that by serving, you're missing out. On serving, you get to experience something that others don't get to experience. In, in one way, they're missing out um, because they're not actively, regularly using those gifts uh, that God has given them. And, and not everybody is wired to serve children. Not, not everybody should serve children. Not everybody should serve student ministry. Uh, but but there is there's at least one area that God is, uh, one way that God has gifted you that you can use not just on Sunday mornings at one local spot, but beyond Sunday mornings uh, within your community. You know, maybe you're a good listener. Get to get to the service on Sunday mornings, you know, 40 minutes early and just greet people and let them talk. Give them an opportunity to talk and just listen. Um, maybe you, you're not geared for kids, but you can hold a door and smile and say good morning. Um, then do that and, and do that. Uh, do that as unto the Lord. So so uh, much bigger than children's ministry, but and I also like to think about it this way: not that it all happens at the local church, but the local church can be kind of like the training wheels for the rest of our lives. Like if if we struggle using the gifts that God has given us within the physical local expression of the gathered bride of Christ, if you struggle just being kind to people on Sunday morning, how are you going to be kind to people on Monday morning? So this is an area for us to be equipped to go and then do uh, the good work of the ministry uh, the rest of the week. I, I didn't expect this conversation to go this way, so yeah, me uh, these are spontaneous questions. The main ministry that we have as a man mm. is to take care of our family. Our, main, our first ministry is our, our wife and our children. Mm-hmm. We can get very caught up in what are they doing in the church Mm -hmm. and sometimes their family's falling apart but they're spending a lot of time helping out at the church Mm -hmm. and doing all this sometimes aren't we sacrificing that first most important ministry sure for i can look like i'm doing something by i'm i'm serving in the church i'm helping out at the food pantry i'm setting up chairs i'm doing this there comes a time when when we need to get back to the main focus of what we should be doing as men and as taking care of our families how do you reconcile that no i i agree what what does the word say going to first timothy chapter three as it relates to the overseer of the church the pastor of the church notice what the word of god emphasizes and, and the order of, of what's emphasized. Um, Paul writes, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop or an overseer, elder pastor, uh, he desires a good work. And then, and then notice how this is listed out. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and then it says able to teach. You know, the, the Word of God places the emphasis on who you are at home before your abilities to teach or to lead or to preach or to do anything else. Um, yeah, absolutely. If, if we are not serving the way we need to be and leading the way we need to be at home, any area of ministry is not going to have credibility. Like, that's just how it is. Um, and, and I'm not saying that God still doesn't. Praise God that He, he works 
through us and oftentimes works around us in spite of us because we'll, we'll never be perfect in this, right? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sanctification process. We're, we're always going to be growing. And then when we think we have something figured out, we enter into a new season of life that we've never been in. And then we have to go th- grow through that. And then our children enter a new season of life that they've never been in, and uh, and, and we, we grow through that. So I'm not saying that, that God can't use us or that, that you can't put out chairs on a Sunday morning if your marriage is falling apart. However, man, take care of your home, and that's okay. And as a pastor, I would rather see you have a healthy home than anything else. You know, do, do chairs need to be put out? Yeah, absolutely. But be the man at home that God wants you to be. Uh, and 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 I don't have much expectation. Like if if I'm aware that that there's uh, someone in our church family that that might be in a season of life like what you were describing, like put everything on hold. Everything else can wait. Whatever area of ministry that you are serving in, like it can wait. Someone else can fill that void. Take a break. Focus on your family. Now, that doesn't mean don't come to worship. You as a family, part of that healing is still being a part of the corporate body. Like that's um, that's how we can have receive that accountability and fellowship and discipline and love. But don't worry about coming to worship and running the soundboard. You need to sit with your wife. Well, who's going to do sound? It doesn't matter. We can cut it off. It doesn't matter. You need to sit with your wife, whatever the ministry may be. That's kind of, and the beauty of where we are too, Michael, like we're small enough, like a lot of those things aren't, like we don't have a production. Like I don't have much of an online presence. We don't have much production as it relates to music and lights and audio and video. Like it's, the simplicity really helps that. Uh, you know, some someone struggling in this area, they were supposed to do the, the children's church time it's okay. We'll just keep the kids in with us. It's not the end of the world. Uh, worship with your family. Be here with your family. So yeah, it, as a as a pastor, if I'm aware now, now that that's a whole other conversation because a lot of times it's hard to get into people's lives, and and you know people assume that you know everything that's going on in their lives and you don't. But if I'm aware that you are struggling as a husband or as a father as a leader in your home, um. I am never going to place the needs of City Light Church over your family's need. You heal, you receive counsel, you get in the Word of God, whatever it is that you need to do, and and we'll be ready to welcome you and receive you back whenever it's time to come back. Again, this topic went a little different than I expected today. I wasn't expecting to go down this road, but I'm glad we did because somebody needs to hear it. Um, so I, I thank you for having that discussion with me, and, and I think you handled the questions really well. Yeah, and in, and in area, and I know this wasn't necessarily the, the, the target of that conversation, but how many pastors need to step aside for a sabbatical because their families are falling apart? Their wives feel like the husband is having this emotional affair with the church. The kids are, are hellions out in, in the world. Um, and there's, there's a lot of... You know, if we were if we were really to stand where the Bible stands, uh, just even looking at, at this passage here in First Timothy chapter three, there's a lot of pastors or, or or teachers or church leaders that could probably say, "Man, I need to take a break, and I need to focus on my family." 
um, and, and, and get that right before stepping back into the pulpit. But one of the struggles on that end is, is we've made it to where if you have a, a family struggle, you're disqualified for the rest of your life now, which is I don't see that in Scripture. Um, and so it's that's why it's so easy to push that under the rug because, man, if I'm having a battle with my wife and I need to tell the church, the congregation, I need to take a break, number one, probably shouldn't be getting paid if I'm not serving in that capacity, right? So that's thought about sometimes. But two, I don't want to I don't want to be disqualified indefinitely um, by admitting that my wife and I are having struggles. Um, uh, you know, if I step away from the pulpit for six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, Will I ever be able to to live out this calling that God's placed on my life again? Churches have been, some churches have made it really, really difficult by taking hard line stands in those types of situations where the pastor's supposed to be a, a, above having any of these problems or struggles. And whenever you do have a problem or struggle, now you're just no good for ministry at all. Like, no, that's, I don't see that in the Bible. No. I want to I want to give you an opportunity as we as we wrap things up. Um, if you could briefly tell me what kind of message would you give to young men who are looking to follow Christ better? Mm. What would be your your brief message to them? That's a good that's a good question. So we're assuming that they are believers. Mm-hmm. We're assuming that they are taking that first step. They're taking the initiative to follow Christ, right? So I would say, you know, James tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Um, that would be my counsel to a young man who's looking to, to further that walk. Listen more than you speak. And when you speak, ask more questions than you do making statements. Um, and I, I like how Proverbs 18.2 says the same thing, but in a different way. We read, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Um, so that that would be the, the first counsel that I would give to a young man in that situation. Um, speak less and listen. Ask questions. Be around men who who are living it as best they know how. Uh, let them disciple you. Let, let them lead you. There might be men who are willing to do that, but you might not be willing to let them. Let them lead you and ask them questions. Listen to their stories. Listen to how they got to where they are. Um, instead of being so quick to share your opinions and your judgments and your thoughts, which is a young man's struggle. You know, we... We think that we know everything, and, and we don't, and, and we, we speak out of ignorance so often, um, and, and we want to conquer the world in, in our zeal for Christ, and, and I admire that, but oftentimes it ends up just landing in a, in a tough position where we say really stupid things. Uh, so, so be quick to listen, slow to speak, seek un- understanding, ask lots of questions, um, but also in this, I, I would encourage young men to really pursue gentleness. Um, I am seeing, unfortunately, so many young men that are just militant in their, des- they desire to know the Lord and they desire to grow in the Lord, but, but 
the way they treat other people is just unbecoming of a person of Christ. And they're so militant where it has to be this way or this way. Gentleness isn't is a part of being filled with the Spirit. Like, lean into that. You don't have to argue. You don't have to be right all the time. As you're asking questions, as you're listening more than you are speaking, be gentle in those encounters and, and just see how God is going to, to really speak to you in those seasons of life and grow you in those seasons of life. This was amazing. Pastor Joshua... Thank you for joining me today for the Men of True Worth podcast. I really you, appreciate Michael. that. This has been a really cool conversation. It took a turn that I didn't expect, but the Holy Spirit's going to go where He wills. And so this has been awesome. And hopefully we'll get to have another conversation on these topics as well. Hopefully so. So, um, And you all, thank you for joining us for the Men of True Worth. Uh, if you made it this far, go ahead and like, subscribe, comment. Let me know what you think. And... Let me know what kind of questions you would like to go more in-depth with Pastor Joshua here. Uh, again, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. <laughs>